What's up, everybody? It's time for RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition, of course. It's me, Joe Serralo. Joining me, as always, Mackenzie Rivers. And Mackenzie, we've got a lot to get to surrounding All-Star Weekend and some futures. A look ahead to the second half or the final 20 or so games of the NBA season, my man. How you been? I am doing excellent. Looking forward to our ride-or-die, ride-or-fade-a-team down the stretch. And I think there might be some disagreement on my fade team. I'll be interested to hear your thoughts, but uh, doing well. Excited to get into it. All right. Now you're already teasing me. I'm looking forward to hearing that. But first, I do have to give you your propers, man. Carl Anthony Towns. He was not only the best value on the board to win the three-point contest at 14 to 1, but he was your pick and the big man showing some love. He went out there and he, you know, barely made it to the final round, yep. but what a showing in the finals, man. That was impressive. But notice how well-rested he was in that final round, putting up a 30-piece, because he doesn't jump over a phone booth when he shoots a three. It's an inherent advantage, and Trey Young was probably the best shooter, like we said, you know, this time the 14-1 to 1 longest. Shout out to Carl Anthony Towns. He even said it. Uh, I'll let the man say it himself. Hey, I told you, Shaq, Vegas got the odds wrong. I've been told you that. Come on, Jersey love, I told you. Congratulations, Cap. Indeed, never in the Vegas brief recorded history of three-point odds has anyone bigger than a 10-to-1 long shot did it. Carl Anthony Towns next time will not be so uh, disrespected by the Vegas marketplace. Yeah, now my pick did not work out so well. I went uh, Desmond Bain at 6-1. to one. He was my pick to win it. He was also the first shooter, but I did make some money, McKenzie. I had an interesting approach. I took Bain not only to win it all. That was a small bet because of the long shot odds, but then I took him over 22.5 because everyone had their individual uh, first round over-under. So I took the over on him. Didn't work. Took CJ McCollum was the second shooter. Took the over on him lost so at this point I'm like oh crap and at that point I decided I was going unders the rest of the way except for Carl Anthony Towns he was only 19 and a half so I went over naturally the third guy up is Luke Kennard I go under on him he goes over so I'm 0 and 3 to start but then I ripped five straight off ended up making money on that and I finally got my pick when the dunk contest rolled around Obi Toppin at plus 210 he wins it all and more so the storyline than Obi winning the dunk contest. That was fucking brutal, man. That was the worst dunk we contest. We all individually and collectively lost the dunk contest. I have never seen something so bad. I mean, you know, we talked about it last episode. This used to be appointment television, Mackenzie. It's now it's like you might as well scrap it. We did. We actually, I think, had if 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 someone would listen to this pod and ran in. Uh, like late breaking news and and pounded on Adam Silver's desk and said, wait a minute, we have the fix and listen to us. I think everyone would have spared a very, uh, you know, not great episode of TV. And the fix was simple. Don't have 50 mistakes. The dunks aren't that cool where it's between the legs and off glass. Oh, no, it should just be the dunks that you do because you're the best athletes in the world and you're flying around. And we see John Morant in the All-Star game hit the back of his head doing a reverse alley-oop. That was one of the coolest things I saw this weekend. That was just natural him playing basketball. That's what people want to see when they see NBA players. And also what you get in a guy like John Morant is exactly what we talked about last episode. You need star power. 
I mean, this contest used to have star power. Guys like Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon, Donovan Mitchell, you know, they were not the biggest names back then, but now all three of those guys are household names. In fact, Gordon was probably the biggest name back then, and now he's probably the smallest of those three. But there used to be a star power element, and now it's like these guys go up there, and yes, I know, you know, Jalen Green is supposed to be a household name. He was an embarrassment. I mean, the guy couldn't even make his dunk. Like, it was just... You, you need guys out there who know what they're doing. And all of these guys, with the exception of Obi, just looked absolutely clueless. I think at one year sabbatical. Let, let's just uh, let's let's realize the mistakes that we've made. And hopefully Zion Williamson in, in a year or two will be able to dunk again. Yeah, that, that, that's what the league needs. And you know what? Get Zion versus Ja. Get the first pick of that year versus the second pick. Right. Yeah. Imagine if they're both, they're, they got their 48-inch verticals, they're freaking AAU teammates in eighth grade, and don't even invite anybody else. Invite two of the greatest jumpers we've seen, both enter the league from the same South Carolina area codes. So that would be cool. Yeah, it definitely would be. I will say, though, the All-Star game itself almost made up for how big of a shit show Saturday night was. And something else we spoke about last episode came to fruition. I hit the over. That was my... Pizza bet, because, you know, it's All-Star Weekend. You can't give any best bets. But I liked the over when it opened on Thursday at 319.5. And and that over hit, because the total ended up being 323. But the over-under closed, McKenzie, and this is what you predicted, closed at 4.5 points higher at 324. And if you took the over then, like so many people did, you were a loser. It is now two years in a row that if you are like you are, good at betting and understanding of the Vegas market, understanding of the NBA and the all-star game and all the accoutrement, you should be winning whether or not you like the over or the under in those games. Cause like you, when it came out, well, this was 320 last year. Uh, expect it, I expect more scoring, less defense like usual. All right. I'm going to bet the over. If you got in early when it made sense to, when it was opened, you win. You win at 319. You win at 320. You win at 321. It doesn't matter because you did your work early enough, even if it's Friday night when it was 322 or 322 and a half is the last one. You're a winner. Or if you said, no matter what the appropriate line is, Saturday, Sunday, as people are anticipating this nationally broadcast game, they're going to get excited. They're going to do what they always do as casual fans, casual bettors. They're going to pound the over for 40, 60 bucks at a time over and over and over again. And we're going to see this rise up. It did about an hour before tip off. Last year, it was about 15 minutes before tip off where we started to see buyback. But this time, an hour before tip off hit 325 and a half, five and a half points higher than it closed last year, even though last year it landed on the number. That was too much of adjustment. Sharps came in. They pounded the under. They won. You won. I'm sure more than more than one smart better, maybe even astute listeners of this podcast, won both bets because they were out there. 319 and a half was out there when you wanted it. 325 and a half was out there when you wanted it. Profitable middle. And yeah, when you make smart bets, sometimes you do win both. Yeah, it worked out. I got to say, a lot of stuff we discussed last episode really, uh, really ended up coming to fruition. And even though your pizza bet of Team LeBron minus five or five and a half. Yeah, let me talk about that really quickly. Steph Curry, come on, you're my man. 50 points, impressive, 16 threes. No one ever hit more than nine threes in an all-star game. So I did a little nerd work and I said, all right, well, he increased the record by 78%. 
nice job on a on a Sunday afternoon. What what other records have been shattered by that amount? Well, Steph Curry, when he hit 402 threes in 2016, he broke his own record by 40%. The previous year, he hit 286. Will Chamberlain scored 100 points, and he scored 50 points a game. That increased his own record. He set the year before 38 points a game. Interesting how we see these historic marks happen and then happen again. For instance, Babe Ruth, 1920, hit 54 home runs, breaking the record he had set the previous year by almost double. 86 percent and Steph Curry bumped his own record in the all-star game which doesn't matter like any of these but 78 percent 16 threes yet when I needed him to knock down a three to cover with the team LeBron up four he missed his last six his last six shots ended up two points shy of the record if you can call that anything Second person to score 50 points. Yeah, he's, he gets the MVP for the first time in his career. Yeah, they win, but good teams win. Team LeBron had a chance to be great. And that's that's the, that's their legacy. It's true. Good teams win, great teams cover. But you know where Steph really screwed me? Because it's amazing how he screwed so many people over given the incredible night he had. I know, right? <laughs> I, had a little par- I had a little parlay work, and I had Team LeBron money line and Steph to be the first basket scorer, and unfortunately, he was the second basket scorer. Giannis kicked things off. Ah, I thought, I was thinking, yeah. I just, I figured, you know, it just made sense to me. You know, Giannis, even though he had a great game, not a three-point shooter, I said, Steph's going to start this thing off with, like, a Dame Lillard shot, like a three-pointer from, you know, almost half court. I I figured that's how the game's got to start. It's the freaking all-star game, right? But didn't work out. And... Last year, he had similar shots, one which uh, crushed my first half under bet, which I'll never make again in the All-Star game. But speaking of defense, Jarrett Allen, not once but twice in the final four minutes of what ended up being the end of the game, went toe-to-toe with Joel Embiid, three, four foot moves in, nobody helped, nobody coming. One of them, he reaches his hand in the rim, in the rim, in the cylinder, and blocks Embiid's dunk attempt. Don't tell me that there isn't some itty-bitty instances of defense, even great defense in the NBA All-Star game. Well, look, when you're a guy like Jared Allen, that's your game, right? Like, you're there. You're not going to showcase your range. You're not going to showcase your great shooting ability. You're there because in the regular season, you earn the All-Star label by being a great rebounder, a great defender. And what better showcase to show it off than against Joel Embiid when you're the only game on that night? I I mean, I I get it. You know, the game is not dominated by defense. Don't make... Any mistake about that, the final score was 163 to 160. But when you get your moment and that's your game, that's the reason you're an all-star, I respect the hell out of Jared Allen. Also respect the hell out of the way he dressed to uh, Friday and Saturday night's festivities. People were crushing him. Have you been seeing this on Twitter? I have not. I have not. I have a different Jared Allen story uh, from the weekend, but what what was he dressing like? I can't believe you haven't seen this on Twitter. People are crushing him. Because he was just wearing... Was it Joe Burrow bag? No, it was a, he was bat. wearing a plain hoodie and like okay. a pair of, I don't know if they were like sweatpants or what, but he was just, he was dressed normally, like a normal dude. And people are like, oh. dude, why aren't you wearing like a diamond chain and designer clothes? And he's like, I'm comfortable. Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, uh, I have, I have, I have seen some instances of that. That's, that's a decent gray, gray you know hoodie. Good for him. Like be comfortable. Him well. you're, you're seven foot tall. <laughs> it is not a comfortable world for seven footers to live in. So be comfortable, Jared Allen, you king. Jared Allen, a substitute in the all-star game, only 23 years old. He'll probably get back there. 
but this is how much of a kid he is at heart. This was a something to see. He actually had the Cleveland Stadium call him out like he was one of the starters, you know, a few hours before the game, just so he could feel what it felt like. And then in the NBA All-Star game, he reaches in the MVP's uh, dunk attempt and he says, no, sir. Because, I mean, I've said this a million times, you know, last couple of days. This is 100% for kids that want to see all their favorite guys, all their favorite heroes on the court in the same night having fun because, you know, that's what being a kid is kind of like. So he has this moment. Maybe it's his only time in the NBA All-Star game, but kids across the world, literally some that will never speak English, uh, will know that Jared Allen is, is a bad man, and in the end of the game, he's not a pushover, even against the MVP. Yeah, I mean, you summed it up perfectly. It was a really fun weekend, and good for Jared Allen. You know, he's one of the few guys at the All-Star game who isn't a household name, and so for him to really just get out there and show the world not only that he's a badass in the post, but also that he's a fun, just quirky, normal guy. Good for him. He really got to showcase his game and his personality this weekend. But Mackenzie, we're back to reality. We've got serious basketball to be played here down the stretch. About 20 to 22 games left for most teams. So let's look ahead. Let's look at some futures for the second half of the season. Yes, sir. I'm going to give you one team that I think is attractive in the futures market and one team I think you're going to fade, you're going to want to fade. And uh, I don't think the best way to get at this all the time is the futures market. Shout out to Circus Sports. They're one of the few books that actually uh, has no bets where I can bet, for instance, minus 800 that the Philadelphia 76ers won't win the championship. Now, given that they're plus 650 or plus 7 to 1 most places, you can see how the book is, you know, taking their vigorish on that. But most places don't let you do that. And most places, when you do bet the yes bet, are, are robbing you blind with the vigorous. So shop around. Celtics 30 to 1 a few weeks ago. Probably a, a plus EV bet now that it's down to 22 to 1, 25 to 1 in most places. That's the team I'm bullish on, by the way, the Boston Celtics going down the stretch. But let me ask you the question Miami Heat's 5 to 1, about 6 to 1 to win the East. Boston Celtics 15 to 1, about 16 to 1. These are the two teams that met in the 2019 Eastern, uh, 2019 2020. Bubble League, Eastern Conference Finals, Badam Adebayo had his breakout season. Jimmy Butler has continued to improve his game. Jason Tatum was a 23-year-old, 21-year-old, and Jalen Brown was a 23-year-old. You know the boys, they're all back. And, you know, new coach in one instance, and Robert Williams is a whole different player than he was back then, and the Heat have a different ascending cast, and Tyler Hero is pretty good. But what's the difference? Why is one team, I know the Heat are four and a half games up on the Boston Celtics, but let's get into it a little bit. The Pythagorean theorem, straight up scoring margin. Celtics plus five and a half, Heat plus four and a half. All right, well, the Heat are you know, maybe a lower scoring team, uh, win close games because Jimmy Butler's the man and older, more veteran experienced quarterbacks are going to get it, or quarterbacks, uh, you know, lead guards. Are, are often gonna are gonna make the difference in close games. Okay, so that's a wash. Analytics cleaning the glass is the best for this because they filter out garbage time. Miami Heat plus five point two on the season. Celtics plus five point one. But obviously, both teams, not just the Heat and not just the Celtics, have had a lot of injuries. Jimmy Butler has missed eighteen games. Bad Adebayo has missed twenty six games. Jalen Brown has missed fourteen games. 
and the Celtics had COVID issues at the end of December. So let's say I've used this stat before, January 1st, Boston plus 11, second best in the league only to the Suns, the Heat plus 7. I've heard a lot of smart people say the Heat are underrated. They're getting their best players back. They're going to be one of the teams to beat. The Nets don't have their stuff together. The Sixers don't have the stuff together. And I agree with all those points. My question to you is, why not the Celtics? Why are they three times less likely, according to the Vegas odds, to win the East? Well, here's why, in my opinion. And it doesn't have to do with any analytics or algorithms or theorems. To me, it's simple. The Heat have gotten considerably better than they were in 2019. And the Boston Celtics are kind of the same team. You know, the Celtics right now, we want to talk about them and, you know, how great they're playing and the oohs and ahs at everything they do. The Celtics are where they should be, where they should have been earlier in the season, but they started so poorly that I think right now we're thinking more highly of them than they deserve. Whereas the Heat have been consistently great. Let's face it, no one thought at this point in time the Heat would be the one seed. The Heat have gotten better than they were in 2019. Tyler Hero is better. Bam Adebayo is better. Uh, They have Kyle Lowry, who is a seasoned great point guard, who even though he's probably individually not as good as he was two, three years ago, fits in as the perfect puzzle piece to this team when everyone's healthy. Also, you mentioned that Jalen Brown missed some time. Yes, he's missed 14 games. Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo combined have missed well over 40 games. If they're healthy down the stretch, Miami is an absolute force to be reckoned with. And I think that the numbers make sense. I think that the Heat are considerably better than the Boston Celtics, who just because of how hot they've been as of late, people are talking about them more. But at the end of the day, this team is really right where they should be. And you can argue maybe even in the grand scheme of things that at the sixth seed, they're slightly underperforming on the season. But I don't think at the end of the day that the Celtics are anywhere near the Miami Heat in terms of progress that they've made or in terms of being an absolute threat come the end of the season. Also, final point as to why Miami has better odds, seeding. If the season ended today, the Celtics are the sixth seed. Right off the bat, they have a hell of a task going to Philadelphia the way the current standings are. Miami, you at least know they're way more likely to get to the second round than Boston is because they're the way things currently lie, they're the one seed. So Miami's not getting bounced in the first round. Boston has a chance. You know, they could win the whole East and run the table. They could just as easily be eliminated the first round. The great point on the seeding, because if you end up the seventh seed, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a fairly reasonable chance that the Celtics don't make the playoffs. There isn't really that much of a chance that the Heat, although it's packed, I mean, a five-game losing streak, anybody's in trouble. Going back to 2019, though, I said 23 and I said 21 on Jason Tatum. He was actually 21 years old. He's 23 right now. At the end of that series, it was clear to me that uh, in his prime, Jimmy Butler was just more ready for that moment than Jason Tatum was at 21. He's not that much into his prime yet. He's still uh, kind of variable as what he is as a player. Uh, Brian Scalabrini made this point on the Zach Lowe podcast that Every single month this season, his assists have gone up. I mean, they've gone up a little, but 3.6, 4.2, 4.65. And now he's back to where he was when he was probably at his best during that playoff run when he had almost 30 points a game, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists. The question that Brian Scalabrini raised, and I'll ask the same thing, is is this the first year that Jason Tatum has really been 
the guy. Now that Gordon Hayward's gone, Kyrie Irving's gone. Eventually, it just is Jason Tatum's team with Jalen Brown as his as his wingman. And the other big difference I'll bring up, Robert Williams, uh, January 1st, he was called out by Ime Aduka as uh, you know, falling short of what he needed to do on defense. He's arguably been, and he's playing primarily off the ball now at center where he's challenging other people like a Rudy Gobert or Draymond Green or that type. He's been as good as any defender off ball in the league. That wasn't the case nearly two years ago. That wasn't the case two months ago. So again, that's why my Celtics, uh, my Celtics, the Celtics are my ride team. And I think they're a decent bet in the futures market. And I think just game to game, maybe Thursday at Brooklyn, will be an interesting opportunity, but who's your team that you want to bet on? Look, the team I'm riding the second half of the season is not a team to come out of its conference, but rather to win its division. It's the Milwaukee Bucks in the highly tight contested Eastern Conference Central Division. Right now at minus 120, I think the Bucks are a great value. Now look, minus 120 is more than I'd like to lay on an individual game. But if you're telling me those are the odds that I can get for Giannis to win his division, I'm taking it all day long. Look, they're two and a half games back right now, and this isn't a true second half. As I mentioned a couple times already, there's only about 20, 22 games to play, but three of their remaining 22 games are against the Chicago Bulls, who is the team that they are two and a half games behind. Now, they've only played once this year. Milwaukee won that game 94-90. With three contests to go and the Bucks in full playoff mode, I think at the end of the day, they're a better defensive team than Chicago. They've got more star power than Chicago. I think if Milwaukee really needs to, they can win at least two out of these three remaining games, if not all three. Can certainly help them should there be a tiebreaker scenario. I'm going with the Bucks minus 120 to win the Central. They're the best team in the Eastern Conference, plain and simple. I agree with you. I, I hadn't looked at that closely, but it, it I perked my ears up when I'm thinking... Uh, minus 120, what are they, three, four games back? Because they're two and a half. They're, I, I know. I just looked it up and I'm like, that's that doesn't seem right to me. I think they should be more like minus 160 because the Bulls have been excellent this year, but they have the second hardest remaining schedule. And Lonzo Ball was hitting 45% of his threes to start the season. And DeMar DeRozan has literally been as hot as he's ever been in his whole life. Zach Levine is, has. Also had, you know, just best shooting numbers of his career. To assume that all of that is the norm, I think has been a mistake with the Bulls. Uh, you know, I made a bet on the Nets, past posting, sorry, uh, versus the Bulls. And it was the last time the Big Three ever played together. And it was also the best offensive rating that the Big Three had ever put together. 150, 150 points per 100 possessions. I thought that was just a good team versus an okay team, or probably more accurately, uh, a team with high upside, great potential versus the Bulls that have been maxing out their solid four or five seed potential the whole year. And the Bucks have a really hard schedule down the stretch, but I feel like their problems this year has been, I mean, they lost to the Blazers as 11 point favorites. They've been lackadaisical champions. They started the year off like the Suns, you know, kind of with that playoff fatigue. I don't think their problem is that they can't beat good teams. I think outside of uh, maybe the best of the bets, which doesn't exist right now in the league, but uh, in years past, they've been maybe, a, a, in my opinion, a step a step below a fully healthy Lakers team or a fully healthy Nets team. They've been in that next tier. 
But that next tier is not afraid of the Sixers trying to get things together, not afraid of the Bulls three times down the stretch. I feel like the Bucs are are significantly undervalued at minus 120 to win the Central. Yeah, and and try this. If you shop around a bit, I'm showing on some sportsbooks right now, plus 110 on Milwaukee. Like, I would hop on that and wouldn't even think twice. That's a lot better than minus 120. Share it with the people. Yeah, what what, what book is that we're looking at? DraftKings and FanDuel, both plus 110. Caesars is showing even odds. Yeah, it's not it's not uncommon that FanDuel and, and uh, that DraftKings and FanDuel in particular, uh, with their particular clientele, will have a bent. A lot more Chicago Bulls fans in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, in New Jersey. New York. Then there are always in Milwaukee. Then there are Milwaukee fans. I'll tell you that much right now. I feel like that is just a, a, a bias. That I mean, it should it should be it should be even. It should be minus one twenty. It definitely should not be plus one ten. My opinion. Yeah. So if if you can get that plus one ten, hop on that, Mackenzie. Who is your team to fade in the second half of the season? I hinted at it a minute ago. The Philadelphia 76ers, in my opinion, may have upside adding an MVP to an MVP roster. But they are in trouble, especially early on. And people brought this up with the Nets last year. Okay, James Harden is some of the highest usages of all time. In 2018-19, he had a 40.5. Only Russell Westbrook ever eclipsed that as far as usage percentage. And he did okay with the Nets because, in my opinion, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant are just more nimble, more flexible, understand how to go in and out of different packages, different situations, how to be uh, off off the ball, on the ball in a consistent way, whereas Joel Embiid has only played as the guy on his team. They brought in Ben Simmons, and it's been an awkward fit every every play they ever played together, even when they were kicking ass defensively. Offensively, it was never all that great. Now Joel Embiid is having his highest usage rate ever. He's having the highest usage rate ever for a seven-footer, by some distance, he's putting up a 37.2 usage percentage. Every other person on this list is freaking Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson, Luka Doncic. No big man has ever been gone to this consistently. Now you're bringing in James Harden completely fresh, never played. You know, Joel Embiid doesn't play for the U.S. Olympic team. He never has played with this guy. By the way, James Harden has the second and 12th highest usage rates ever. Joel Embiid right now this year has the eighth. I just see friction. I just see Doc Rivers is, he's a good coach. I like him. I've always been a fan of Doc Rivers, but he's a player's coach that is, is you know, that makes his bread and butter with play design and, and, and sideline plays, things like that. I don't see him inventing the triangle. For this to work. And I think something like that is is really what uh, is needed. Real innovation in offense to get Joel Embiid to maximize what he can do and James Harden to maximize what he can do. I think you could just roll the ball out there and be fine. But as far as top end potential, I don't think the Sixers right now, they're tied with the Bucks essentially and the Nets to win the East. I don't see it. I don't see it working this year, but that's my opinion. You know, that's interesting because the team I'm fading actually kind of contradicts you. I'm fading the Nets. I think that the Philadelphia 76ers are in much better shape after this trade than the Brooklyn Nets. I think, you know, a team that I'm riding, the Milwaukee Bucks, in better shape in the Eastern Conference than the Nets. Hell, I think a team that we talked about earlier, the Miami Heat, could actually go further than the Brooklyn Nets this year. I'm fading the Nets. I hate the fact 
that right now I'm looking at well, the. I'm not buying the Nets. You, you act like I, I didn't. I didn't pick the Nets. I, no, I, but I'm, I'm going to agree with a lot of the points you're about to make. I think. Yeah. No. Look, I'm not hammering you right now. But if, if you're fading the Sixers, you're pretty much saying that you yeah, have I more see. faith in the Nets than Philly. Correct. Fair. Fair. That's fair. And, and right now, I'm just very anti-Nets. Look, I think Philly. I think the market has a pretty good gauge on the 76ers. I think the Nets right now having equal title odds to the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors is kind of ridiculous considering how low they are in the standings. And, and I know that they're going to get... And that's DraftKings, right? That's that's another one of those biases where I got the pregame consensus odds and the Nets are, you know, second tier. They're significantly lower. They're at 6-1. to one. The Suns are closer to 4-1. to one. But you see another example of DraftKings getting a lot of Brooklyn money and their odds are at 4-1. to one. Yeah, plus 425. Nets, Suns, Warriors. All three of them. And I think that Brooklyn is just definitely a step beneath those two teams. So with those kind of odds, I'm absolutely fading the Nets. By the way, Westgate Sharp Book here in Nevada has consistently been, if you want to buy Nets stock, you just you, there's no other place in the world besides Westgate, Nevada. They have them at eight to one. So if you want to make a trip or if you want to make a phone call, buy some uh, or actually, actually, I guess you don't, <laughs> you particularly wouldn't want the Nets at eight to one, but you can see how a sharp book in Nevada says, buy all the Nets you want at eight to one, where the DraftKings biggest sports book, I think in the country at the moment says, uh, you can have Nets at four to one if you want. Yeah. Shop around boys and girls. That's the lesson of the day. We talked about the all-star game. You should have won if you bet the total on the all-star game and you're listening to this podcast. If you didn't, you need to contact me and we need to have an intervention. But just just the same, if you're getting nets, if you're buying into the nets, if you're fading Joe, if you're buying into the nets, get them at eight to one. Don't get them at four to one. Same thing with the 76ers. If you want to fade me, if you want to buy the 76ers, you got to get them at 750. They're out there. Get them at 750. Don't get them at six to one. It's already so hard buying in to heavy, big future markets. Do some shopping, though, and it gets easier. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Mackenzie, I know we've got another episode later in the week for a busy weekend slate. Teams will have had a full week off before the final 20 or so games of the season tips off. But let's look ahead to Thursday night slate. I can't wait. Right now, this is like too damn long for me without the NBA. I can only watch so much college hoops and watch uh, watch Baylor and Oklahoma State right now play an ugly game. Uh, let's talk Memphis, Minnesota. To me, this is the game that jumps off Thursday's slate the most. DraftKings has some early lines. Right now, it's the only book I'm seeing lines at. And they've got Memphis minus two at Minnesota. I think that is tremendous value. Before this came uh, before this came out, I actually, in my notes here, said I was predicting this to come out anywhere between Grizzlies minus two and a half to minus three and a half. I think minus two is really good value for a team that's top three in the West. I like the matchup for the Grizzlies. My power ratings has these teams a little bit closer where I have the Grizzlies only as a one-point favorite, so probably won't make my card, but the matchup, the Grizzlies do everything that the Timberwolves do, just an accelerated level. It feels like this Grizzlies team is where the Wolves want to be, and they might get to next year, whereas they're scoring the most point paints in the league. They have this athletic guard where D'Angelo Russell probably hasn't you know, made that leap in John Morant, so... I'm going to be interested in this matchup, maybe maybe fall into some player props, but uh, I'm going to pass the side in total. So what jumps off uh, when you look at Thursday's slate? Anything really that stands out to you? Yes. I I don't see how this Boston Celtics team beating teams for the last month and a half can only be a four and a half point favorite currently 
at Brooklyn. One thing we've talked about this on the pod many times, Brooklyn's just the worst home court advantage in basketball. It's where New York Knicks fans go to the Barclays Center to boo their least favorite team. The Nets have played 28 games in Barclays Center this year. Kyrie Irving has played zero, you might have guessed. Kevin Durant has played a handful. The Nets have covered six times, 22%. Six winners, 21 losers, and one time they mercifully for their backers got a push. I know Seth Curry looked very good scoring 20 points a game. I know Andre Drummond looks like he's back from the crypt. But the Nets have, I mean, the Celtics have played the best basketball in the league in the East by far. And the Nets aren't going to have any of their guys. The fact that the Celtics lost by one point to end their nine-game win streak heading into the break, I feel like that sticks into their crawl. I feel like they come back with a little more energy to restart a winning streak. So, surprise this number is that low. I have it at six. But best bet, uh, like it, I mean, I was going to wait for Thursday to do a best bet. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say we're giving out best bets just yet because a lot can change in these lines okay, between I, now and then. Yeah, and and Kevin Durant might be back by Thursday. I'm not going to bet into that because I don't have to. So this is a strong lean for me, but I'm not going to bet it myself till closer to tip off and we have information. So why would I give it out here on a best bet? But we do have a little workaround, a little change up that we're giving the people so that we can get some best bets right as the NBA kicks back off. Yeah, we do. We're going to have an episode Thursday morning for you all. Usually we record Monday and Thursday night for Tuesday, Friday morning releases, but we're going to do an episode on Wednesday so that when the lines are finalized or at least a lot more accurate than they are right now, three days ahead of schedule, we'll have an episode Thursday morning for everyone. And, you know, Mackenzie, I know we give our one best bet. We go over, you know, one game or maybe, I'm sorry, two games in addition to our best bets. Right now, looking at Thursday's slate, I'm going to want to talk about a lot of these games. I've got a strong lean on Memphis. You have a strong lean on the Celtics. A lot of road favorites I like. Cleveland at Detroit, Golden State at Portland, Denver at Sacramento. And then we've got Friday's games, which by Wednesday, because a lot of the Friday teams aren't playing Thursday, we should have lines on those games too. So we're going to really get to a lot of games in that episode and uh, come back Start the second half in a big way for you listeners out there. You know who's excited? Cameron Payne of the Phoenix Suns because he's starting for the best team in basketball at point guard right now. First half Suns against the worst first half team in the league in the Thunder. Is that a hammer? Tune in Thursday. Tune in Thursday. Yeah, I, I like know. it. I like it. By the way, Phoenix, I will say this, and, and this is my closing remark on this episode. The Phoenix Suns are a team that you all know I love them to win the championship this year. Wait a few weeks, hope that without Chris Paul, maybe they drop a couple games, get better odds, see if they'll get up from plus 425, plus 450 to maybe six to one, and then hammer the shit out of the Phoenix Suns. Chris Paul will be back for the playoffs, and uh, I'm still high on this Phoenix team. I'm hoping they lose a couple games here just to get better value on them. Sharpest guy I know, arguably, the great RJ Bell said, sneaky advantage Having Chris Paul have his six point, have a little six week hiatus, rest up, do some conditioning for the playoff stretch. Notice how the odds didn't move at all because sneaky advantage. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. I'm hoping, and we'll see, they might not move ever. I'm hoping they lose a few games and uh, you can get that at least five to one, maybe closer to six. But yeah, Vegas knows, and they know that Chris Paul, when he's back, is going to be in great shape and the Suns will be just fine. 
And that does it for episode 19 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. When we're back, we're going to be back with best bets. We're going to be hitting a ton of games Thursday and Friday this week. So we'll see you guys Thursday morning. And hopefully, we'll make you some money.